This is The Intoxicated Podcast. In this episode, Matt and I sat down with addiction nutritionist Kelly Miller. This was a fascinating interview, and you can follow Kelly on Instagram at The Addiction Nutritionist. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast, and Matt, I am super excited because we have Kelly Miller here, and just talking with her right now, I feel like people's heads are going to explode with her knowledge, and this whole field of nutrition and addiction, I am super excited. Man, I couldn't be more excited myself. Kelly and I have been friends for years now. We have kids the same ages in school. That's how we originally met. Kelly, she is the addiction nutritionist on Instagram. Like I said, good friend of mine. Uh, in training, when she finishes her certification, she'll be a nutritional therapist specializing in mood, mental health, and mindset. And she's here to talk to us about some subjects that um, we know little or nothing about but are super important in our personal journeys about ad- addiction. So Kelly, welcome. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me today. I'm really excited. Good. We want to kick off right away. Jason and I just got done um, with our listeners telling our stories. Of, of why we're doing this and, and how addiction has played such a significant role in our lives. So the first question I think is, how, how have you come to study and be just so passionate about uh, nutrition and addiction and how those two things relate to each other? Sure. So, you know, I think addiction has always been a part of my story. Um, from a very young age, I was exposed to addictive behavior. I had an older brother um, when I was like six years old, and he was about 14, suffering from multiple drug addictions. Um, and even though I was only six, I wasn't really sheltered from what that looked like. I, I did see a large majority of, of how that affected my brother and how that affected my family. And my brother, um, he went to treatment, he went to rehab, he actually ended up getting leukemia and passed away. Yeah. Um, but shortly before that, when he was in rehab, I think it was Dateline did a story on the, the rehab facility that he was in did like a special, a 60 minute special on TV. Um, And after he passed, as a young child, I would watch that video all the time um, because I could get a glimpse of my brother in the audience. Mm. Um, And I just really obsessed over the stories that these, it it was for teens, the program was. I had just obsessed over the stories that they would tell and in the anguish that I could see with the parents. And I think I knew from like six or seven years old that um, one day I would be involved in some sort of addiction counseling or work at a treatment program in what capacity I didn't know, but, um, but I knew that would always be something that I wanted to do. Um, and then when I got older, you know, when life got in the way and you're like trying to decide what you want your college degree to be in and stuff, I was really discouraged from following, you know, that path for whatever reason. And when I got into my 30s, I started suffering from all types of autoimmune disorders. Um, And that was really what led me into learning about nutrition and how nutrition is such, you know, your food choices is really the foundation of your your health. Um, But my passion for addiction had never gone away. And so I just started reading everything I could about addiction and nutrition, but really as two separate topics. Um, and sort of wondered like, how can I combine these two or what's the significance here? Um, And I ended up coming across a training program that did just that. It took, you know, addiction and how you can use specific nutrient therapy, nutrient protocols to really help people heal from addiction, um, to prevent cravings and to prevent relapse. And, and how to help those people. And so that was it for me. I was like, this is this is what I'm doing. So. One, one of the things 
that I find fascinating about all this, you, I've talked to you enough that I'm convinced that there's a link between nutrition and addiction and that there's uh, just a really positive aspect of changing your nutrition patterns and how that'll help you recover from addiction. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm there. Yeah. But when you said you, you did a lot of research and reading, I've done a lot of research and reading, and so has Jason. I don't find much on this particular topic. Like you said, there's a lot on addiction, and there's mm-hmm. a lot on nutrition, but is this a relatively new field, or, or just why don't people talk about this? I don't know. I don't think it's a new field, but for some reason it never caught you know the mainstream, the main stream wave it never it never flowed into being okay this is going to be a part of of regular treatment programs i don't know why um the treatment programs that are out there that have been doing this um like the from the author of seven weeks to sobriety this program started in like the 70s or the early 80s i'm not sure but it's been around a long time and it took me almost 10 years of researching these two topics individually before i came across this information where this stuff had already been put together and was, you know, actually had been been used in practice and clinical practices for years. So it took me a long time of internet searching and reading to figure out that it had already, you know, it was already being used. That's great. Yeah. Well, thanks for bringing it to our listeners today. One of the most fascinating topics, and I know, Jason, you and I have talked about this, is hypoglycemia. And I know, I know people are probably like, why is that fascinating, Matt? That's just a big, <laughs> silly word. But talk to us about the link between addiction and hypoglycemia. Because mm-hmm. I just, like I said, I think it's really, really bizarre and fascinating. Sure. So these clinical practices that have been using these strategies for years um, found that a large percentage of the population um, suffers from reactive hypoglycemia, which is really a lifestyle factor. It has to do with our diets here in America, where we have a very large emphasis on carbohydrates, but re- specifically refined carbohydrates. This is the processed junk food that we eat on a regular basis. When we you know, eat these foods, they really spike our blood sugar too high, higher than what our bodies can handle. And that will signal, um, you know, that triggers the pancreas to release insulin, which is a hormone that's designed to lower our blood sugar. So what happens is, is we eat these heavily, you know, refined carb foods that are high in sugar. Our blood sugar goes really high. The insulin comes in, but it's an overproduction of insulin because we spiked our blood sugar too high. And, and what happens after that is our blood sugar goes too low. And then that's when the mood stuff starts happening. Like everybody's got that sister or that uncle or that cousin who like, oh, they're, we need to get them some food because they're starting to get hangry. Um, you know, they're starting to get really moody. You know, you think about long car drives, you know, mm-hmm. where you're traveling and you're like, you hit that three hour mark, that four hour mark and everyone starts losing it. It's like, we've got to get some food. That's what reactive hypoglycemia is. And the connection to addiction is that in these clinical practices, they have found that this is a huge trigger for relapse. Because along with those cravings of the sugar, it also seems to trigger the cravings for your drug of choice. You know, that might be alcohol, that might be cocaine, but if you learn to balance your blood sugar, and reactive hypoglycemia is is a lifestyle factor. Like I said, it's really based off of this poor standard American diet. If you get the the food right and you fix that foundational nutrition, you can control um, the reactive hypoglycemia. And this can really help you manage not only your cravings, but ultimately prevent relapse. So it's it's crucial in recovery to learn these tools, I think. Mm -hmm. So there is a difference between being hangry and just hungry. Because I think of like when you fast, 
-hmm. It seems like that's a different approach. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. Do you get hangry when you fast? <laughs> if you do it right, uh -huh. you do not. Okay. Because one of uh -huh. the hallmarks of intermittent fasting is really mm -hmm. learning to balance your blood sugars first. Um, mm -hmm. And that's where you're bringing in the healthy fats and that sort of thing. So hunger will come in waves. You'll, you'll feel hunger. And if you ride that out and you have a, you know, a, the foundational nutrition of, of regularly consuming these healthy fats, you won't get to the hangry point. You'll ride out the wave of hunger and it will go away. But hangry is like actual physical uh, you know mm. thing happening inside your body where your blood sugar has dropped too low mm. so it's almost like our diet and you mentioned refined carbohydrates in a way is making us addicts <laughs> it totally is there there are so many similarities mm -hmm. between um, you know being addicted to a substance like alcohol or drugs and being addicted to sugar and refined carbs mm. I myself am a recovering carboholic mm. um, this is terminology that we're starting to use a lot because mm. we're finding that there is a strong addiction to carbohydrates especially refined carbs it follows the same pathways in the in the brain it follows the reward pathway I eat bread and all of a sudden my brain will start to manufacture an opiate-like substance. Um, and so I feel like a calming, comfortable feeling when I mm. eat bread. It's, uh, it's kind of like, you know, comfort food. Um, and that, that, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was becoming addicted, addicted to that feeling. And that's what carboholism is, you know. So that half a bag of Doritos I ate when I was a kid, uh, when I came home from school every day, that that is that's the trigger that I was be, have been looking for as to what caused this alcoholism. <laughs> it wasn't serving your health, that's for sure. That's funny too, because I just as we're talking, have remembered there was a period. It was right around two thousand, so like eighteen years ago. I I was fat, man. I was I still had my college, you know, the college fifteen. Well, that was forty for me, the college forty. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I was determined to drop it, and I did so. I mean, I, and it wasn't through exercise. It was through eating less. Mm. But I, I didn't cut out alcohol. And I can remember getting to the end of the day, and that was the first time my cravings for, like, that first vodka tonic were so strong. And it was probably because I had hypoglycemia, mm -hmm. and my blood sugar was so low at that point. And then that first drink, man, would that hit the spot. Yeah. And so with the second and third. Definitely, so. because you were really, you know, your willpower is so much more a function of your blood sugar than anything else. Hmm. That's fascinating, man. I'm really interested, too, and, and we may be jumping a little bit too far ahead, but you mentioned a pro-recovery diet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would love to hear more about that, because I know for myself, too, I'm, I'm going about this in the wrong way. You know, we talked about the food coma a little mm -hmm. bit, mm -hmm. happened Thanksgiving, the pie, the bread, um, the cookies, and you know, and I think I know what you're talking about now. The low blood sugar, it doesn't feel good. Yeah. It's like that crash. Definitely. And so, what is a, a pro recovery diet? So the pro recovery diet is based off of this. So we, you know, we have this information about um, our neurotransmitters. Our neurotransmitters are the chemicals in our brain that really control our mood, our well-being. You know, the four main mood-regulating neurotransmitters are dopamine, serotonin, endorphins, and GABA. These four brain chemicals have a massive impact on our overall overall well-being. Dopamine is also known as the spark of life because if you are low in dopamine, you know, you don't have that drive. You don't have that ambition. Um, if it's really low, it can almost 
feel paralyzing at times where you're sitting on the couch and you're looking around and you're like, I know I have so much to do right now, but I cannot mm-hmm. get off this couch. Um, you know, it's the hallmark of, of ADD and ADHD. So these brain chemicals are um, manufactured by the amino acids that we feed our body. So there's a group of amino acids, there's about 20 of them. Um, Nine of them are considered essential, which means that they must come from the diet. And the essential amino acids are not like, um, they're not like fat soluble vitamins where your body will store them. You have to get a supply of them every day. Hmm. So the basis of the pro-recovery diet is making sure that you're getting an adequate supply of these amino acids every day. Well, where do amino acids come from? They come from the breakdown of protein. So, you know, the hallmark of the pro-recovery diet is really focusing on the foundation of your diet being quality protein, primarily um, and preferably from animal sources. Um, So like one of the first things we do when we start teaching people about the pro-recovery diet is say, um, you know, we want you to eat three meals a day. And the basis of those three meals is 20 to 30 grams of protein because you ingest the protein, your body breaks it down into the individual amino acids. And that is the, you know, that's the substance that your body uses to manufacture your brain chemicals, the serotonin, the dopamine, um, the GABA and the endorphins. And these are the chemicals that are affected, um, dramatically affected by addiction. They're, they're depleted, basically. And you have, mm. to, you have to build them back up. You mm. talked about dopamine as being required for motivation. Low mm-hmm. dopamine, you sit on the couch. I have, like, what, what I've read talks about dopamine being related to pleasure. Like yes. a dopamine release is what makes you feel pleasure. So your brain will eventually, if you're, if you're drinking heavily on a regular basis... Because it doesn't want to let you have dopamine all the time, it'll only release dopamine when you give it the alcohol that you're craving. Is my understanding correct? Yep, it's totally correct. Dopamine has a lot of functions, um, but it so there's there's lots of different drugs you can abuse. All of the drugs have a different effect on your neurotransmitters. Um, some will affect serotonin more, some will affect endorphins more, but they all across the board affect dopamine because that is our our pleasure reward uh, brain chemical. Um, So marijuana, alcohol, sugar, um, all of these things will dramatically affect your dopamine. And your body, that's what tolerance is. Your body gets to the point where it is used to you supplying it with your drug of choice. And um, you you get that flood of dopamine and that's what triggers the reward pathway. Your body goes, whoa, I loved that, want to do that again. Mm-hmm. And so it just reinforces that behavior. But it also it is also strongly tied to attention, to ambition, to motivation. Um, that's why they refer to it as the spark of life. Without dopamine, you're, you're not really functional. Mm-hmm. Um, a Parkinson's disease, if you've ever been, uh, you know, if you're familiar with Parkinson's disease, it starts to become a, a paralyzing, a progressive disease. That is, uh, that's insufficient dopamine. That's what Parkinson's mm-hmm. is. Wow. You eventually become almost, you know, totally paralyzed. So can people mm-hmm. who have abused their biochemistry through addiction, for instance, mm-hmm. be more susceptible to Parkinson's because they've thrown their dopamine out of whack? I don't know. The, I don't know if that has been studied. I, It'd be a I good thing to study. I could guess and say that maybe there's a connection. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if Parkinson's is genetic. I'm, I'm not sure. So in, in the recovery kind of world, like I said I, earlier, I think that this whole topic of nutrition is under talked about to use a very technical term, mm-hmm. <laughs> but where you, where you, the, the things you do find a lot of in the recovery world are people practicing yoga 
you, you find, and, and on the nutrition side of things, you do come across people who look at a vegan diet, for instance, because of the health benefits, not necessarily related to recovery, but the general health benefits as if you practice yoga, um, that gives your mind something to do to take your mind off of drinking, for instance. And if you have this vegan diet, you'll, you'll lose weight and you'll feel better and blah, blah, blah. And I, I eat vegan a fair bit of the time as a result of what I've learned. There's actually a gentleman named Adam Sud, who is kind of out there in the recovery world. And he went vegan. His problem wasn't necessarily alcoholism. It was, I mean, he was way, way, way overweight, like hundreds of pounds mm -hmm. overweight. And he had to fix things drastically and quickly. Mm -hmm. And the vegan diet did that. But what I'm hearing you say is, um, even though, you know, yoga and these other spiritual practices fall in line with people who also want to be vegan, like those things just relate to each other. We got to have meat in our diet if we want to balance our amino acids, which fixes our neurochemistry. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a hotly debated topic. Okay. Um, and I think if somebody, you know, if I met Adam Sud and he said, you know, this is what worked for me and I feel amazing, then who am I to say that he should be doing anything different, right? But at the same time, as somebody that is, you know, people are going to be coming to me for professional advice based off of science, I personally would not say this is what you should do. I do not believe that being a vegetarian or being a vegan lays a solid foundation for recovery because of it's very difficult to get the amount of protein that you need um, from that type of diet if you're not eating animal sources, um, which I also think have other added benefits. But if somebody said, you know, I, I want to, I want to recover and I want to use nutrition and I, I'm not going to budge on this, um, I'd be willing to meet that person where they're at. There are things you can do to increase their protein intake. Will it be ideal? No, probably not. But I still think I still think people can find a good, healthy recovery with that lifestyle. But I don't think it's for everybody. And the reason I say that is because we have different blood types, right? Um, and there's scientific evidence that shows that these different blood types um, are closely associated with what we should be eating. And I'll give you a prime example. I'm a blood type O, um, which is the majority of the population is a blood type O. Blood type O are the hunter-gatherers. Our blood type um, developed at a period in time when that's, you know, when the hunter-gatherers were around and type O people should really, for ideal optimal health, should really be eating meat. Hmm. Now there's blood type A where um, they really shouldn't be eating red meat very often at all because they have low stomach acid. They don't have enough stomach acid to digest animal protein. Um, and they can actually thrive on a diet that looks more vegetarian where they're consuming a lot of vegetables, but also some white fish and, you know, occasionally chicken, but they're still getting protein from that. So, so it's really, the pro-recovery diet has foundational aspects of it, but it's also highly individualized, um, you know, learning about blood type, learning about people's history and that sort of thing. So when you, when, eventually when you're talking to clients and you're helping them put a, a pro-recovery diet together, you're going to want to know things like their blood type. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. That's where the wow. individualized part of the plan will come in. Well, that's great. So I want to advocate for uh, being a former vegan, um, a strict vegan for a few years. You know, one of the, the things, and, you know, I'm not trying to d debate the, the science of animal protein, but one of the things about being vegan for me was the built-in discipline that it mm -hmm. entailed. Like, I would see donuts on the table, and they're like, oh, I can't eat that. It's not vegan, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I kind of, I, it was a good discipline for me. Now that I'm not vegan, I'm kind of like, 
it's like I, I need like a pro recovery diet, mm-hmm. right? I need that discipline so I don't eat it. Unfortunately, I need a little like kick in the butt. Right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I need restrictions or uh-huh. else it's kind of like, hey, whatever. Well, yeah. I can completely identify with that yeah. because like I said earlier, me being a carboholic, the very first nutrition protocol I put in place in my life was going gluten-free mm-hmm. because that took all the bread off the table, <laughs> right? So I would see a donut and very rarely I would come across a gluten-free donut. But mm-hmm. at that time, that created a lot of discipline for me as well. And so I, I can totally relate mm-hmm. to that. Well, I heard a guy on the radio the other day, and I'd like to give him credit, but I don't remember who it was. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember what radio station. But he was talking about willpower, and you, you mentioned mm-hmm. willpower a little bit ago being mm-hmm. related to blood sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, he was talking about willpower is manageable, doable when it's a yes or no, where we run into trouble with willpower is when it's a how much. Mm-hmm. And that relates to addiction yeah, too. Sure. If I tried to moderate... <laughs> Good luck, right? I mean, I would start off on a good path and then I'd drink too much. But yeah. but when you say whether it's I'm not going to eat that donut because I'm a vegan or I'm not going to drink alcohol because mm-hmm. I'm an alcoholic or whatever it is, if, if it's a yes-no question versus I'll just have a little, um, good luck. You know, yeah. your willpower is no match for that. I agree 100%. Yeah, that's fascinating to me because I, uh, you know, I was addicted to smoking cigarettes for 20 years. Um, and at least 10 of those years, I was a heavy chain smoker. Um, and the far majority of those 20 years, I wanted to quit um, smoking. And I put the gluten-free piece in place before I quit smoking, which really helped balance my moods. But one of the key components of me being able to quit smoking was a scripture from Matthew 537, which is let your yes be yes and your no be no. Mm-hmm. And I have it on my fridge today. I just mm-hmm. had my four-year anniversary of being cigarette-free. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But th- totally, totally. If you, if, and it's, the same goes with sugar. You know, if you allow yourself some of these, you know, cheat days and things like that, you open up the doorway to just a cascade of events that are hard to recover from. Yeah, and I'm so big on that concept of opening the doorway. I use it a lot with clients. You know, once you start to dabble in that moderation, hey, you know, I think I cured myself from this disease of whatever, of alcoholism. And once you open that doorway up, you know, it's really hard to close it because we get that dopamine, that, that rush, that pleasure, is just open and so I can relate 100% mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm glad you said it because I shared a lot with clients and now it sounds like you're scientific I think background. so yeah. right. <laughs> talk, can you talk Kelly a little bit about the relationship between addiction and gut health mm. sure so when you're when you're in active addiction you know depending on what you're addicted to more often than not, you know, that really becomes the priority in your life and not so much healthy eating you know, you don't find a lot of Uh, people suffering from addiction who are like, I, you know, had a salad every day for lunch. You know, it's usually just feeding their addiction and then food is just not even a thought. They just eat whatever they can. And oftentimes it's a diet full of refined carbs because that makes us feel good. It's Mm -hmm. easy. It's Mm -hmm. convenient. It's packed with addictive chemicals. And these things really destroy our gut health and lead to things like leaky gut. Um, And then leaky gut leads to food allergies um, and, and a whole host of other issues. You know, leaky gut is essentially, you know, we have these tight junctures that are line the intestinal tract. And by eating this standard American diet, these junctures start to loosen up and open up and molecules from the, the foods that we eat or toxins start getting into our bloodstream that weren't supposed to go in there. Um, and so that creates things like addiction, uh, excuse me, um, allergies. So, you know, repairing gut health, um, I think is really crucial in recovery. It also, um, you know, it affects, 
if we are eating a healthy diet, um, but we're not absorbing those nutrients, then we're, our body's not able to utilize them. So during active addiction, we're affecting the microbiome, which is the delicate balance of good bacteria versus bad bacteria in our gut. Um, so there's all sorts of things you can do to, to repair leaky gut and really um, focus on having a healthy gut because that is really closely tied to our brain health. A lot of this, to me, is just so counterintuitive because when, when you think of recovering from addiction, you think of taking out the most evil, which in my case was alcohol, and replace it with whatever to get by. Let's, let's worry about your nutritional health later. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm interested, Jason, in mm-hmm. your practice, if you have someone that's fighting cravings and their issue is alcoholism and they're really fighting to, to drink or not to drink, what, what advice do you, what do you tell them to do as a replacement? Like, yeah. like are you familiar with the, what I'm talking about? Yeah, for sure. And, and until today, I realize that I'm doing it all wrong. So in group, I sometimes tell people who aren't experiencing a craving, have that, you know, like all the momentum is going to drink. I tell them, you know what, get a blizzard instead. Well, let's do harm reduction. Having a blizzard (laughs) is better than going to the liquor store. Yeah. Well, I agree. I think having a blizzard would be better than going to the to the grocery store. But um, liquor store. uh, Yeah, the liquor store. Sorry, I'm always thinking about food. Sorry. Um, (laughs) But I would say, you know, what is a craving? A, A craving is a very physical thing that happens, right? So if we dig a little deeper, we want to know what is causing that craving. Um, you know, is it, is it a, something unbalanced in our, in our biochemistry? What is the root cause of the craving? So although I would agree in, in, in the concept of harm reduction and maybe just having some sugar to make the craving go away, I think the better question would be what is causing the craving? And oftentimes it's coming from a poor diet, um, lack of nutrients in our diet, you know, not understanding how to control our, our blood sugar because our blood sugar, low blood sugar, um, is really a trigger for cravings. So instead of having a blizzard, I would, I think a better tool would be to teach these people how to how to eat the pro recovery diet, which is getting mm. protein in, in every meal, three meals a day, not skipping a meal. It's incorporating healthy fats into their diet because healthy fats like avocados and extra virgin olive oil is going to prevent your blood sugar from spiking. Mm. So even if you have some sugar or a refined carb with your meal, if you pair the healthy fats with that, your blood sugar will not spike as high. So, so really focusing on laying the foundation to prevent the cravings in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, and what you're getting at too is that recovery not only includes obviously not using, it not only includes working on yourself, um, reflecting, um, self growth, working on your character defects, going to meetings, whatever it is, spirituality. It also includes diet. Absolutely. Which, again, my, my brain is, is, is exploding because in my training to be an addiction counselor, we didn't talk anything about nutrition. Yeah. And it seems like such a huge component that we're missing. Yeah. I think therapy is incredibly important and the social aspect and the spiritual aspect of recovery is incredibly important. But you can still do all of these things and have a, you know a patient or a client who is constantly dealing with cravings. And so if you can pair those therapies with nutrition therapy, 
you can really dramatically raise success rates from the typical standard 25% um, in the treatment industry we have today up to 75%. And, and I get these numbers from you know the people who have taught me, who have been in clinical practice for decades doing these things, um, which is Julia Ross, who wrote the mood, the mood Cure. The Mood Cure is probably like the Bible of, of learning these techniques. And then Dr. Joan Matthews Larson, who wrote Seven Weeks to Sobriety. These two female pioneers in this industry have just um, created a ton of data and they've put this stuff in practice for years and and it all and it all kind of you know coming back to your question earlier it's like I, do, I wonder I wonder why it just never caught the wave of of mainstream and why treatment programs are not including this as standard protocol oh yeah I'm in a lot you know I follow a lot of let's take Instagram for example social media there's a huge recovery community mm -hmm. within Instagram and especially when people are on there in early recovery looking for help from their peers, not not from a professional, but just from each other, you know, and someone will say, gosh, I had a bad day. It's Friday, the weekend's coming. I'm really fighting these cravings. All the advice that they get in the comments section is go get some sugar, you know, mm. do all this harm to your body nutritionally because mm. that's better than drinking. Go get your blizzard, right, Jason? Mm -hmm. And it, it's just fascinating to me that how much higher the success rates, like you, you said, how important the whole balance thing is to, um, to having long-term success with recovery as opposed to just getting through the weekend. Absolutely. I mean, how often do you meet people who have, you know, used cognitive, you know, behavioral therapy or like they, they've put everything in place that they can put in place, but they can't seem to fight, you know, they're still dealing with the cravings. I mean, to, to, to be able to talk with somebody and tell them like, you can be liberated from this by doing some simple things, you know, changing your diet. I mean, that might sound overwhelming to a lot of people and I understand that, but, but you can, you know, you can put these things in place over time and these small incremental things you can do by changing your diet, maybe adding some additional amino acid supplements in, um, which is was part of the program that I learned to um, supplementing with amino acids, you know, and slowly taking steps to help them impair, uh, repair their gut health. All of these things that, uh, that somebody like me, a coach would do over, you know, six months to a year can make a tremendous impact on sometimes completely eliminating cravings, maybe not always, um, but sometimes completely eliminating them. So I assume that you're on the, the pro-recovery diet. Yes, absolutely. Um, so <laughs> can you talk about how the change it was for you, mm -hmm. is for you? Sure. I found out about the pro-recovery diet after um, I had quit smoking um, and really got a handle on, on my carb addiction. Um, but I had already been putting a lot of those things into practice because it's, it's really quite simple. It's focusing on healthy proteins. Mm -hmm. It's focusing on the healthy, choosing healthy fats um, over the, the bad fats like trans fats and packaged foods, processed foods. And, you know, incorporating fruits and vegetables, which provides us with our fiber that helps repair our gut health, that sort of thing, and helps with balancing your hormones. Eating things like blueberries that are super mm -hmm. high in antioxidants. There's a book out called um, Genius Foods. And it's written by Max Lugavere, and he's the one I quoted earlier about the genetics. And he talks about the ten, the top ten foods you can eat for your brain health, and that really corresponds with recovery because it's all you know mm. balancing your brain chemistry. But just eating fruits and vegetables and quality proteins and healthy fats and learning how to control your blood sugar, it is mind blowing how much these things affect your mood. Um, I grew up in a house where mood was really kind of a thing. Everybody was always a little bit on edge. 
were kind of irritable people, uh, sort of negative thinkers, um, and we ate a lot of like meat and potatoes and pasta. Never any vegetables. Lots of packaged food. We love Oreos, you know. But you know, going through my twenties and sort of always wondering like, why am I? Why am I so addicted to bread? and cigarettes and why am I so moody all the time after my early 30s of dealing with the autoimmune disorders and learning how to put these things into practice because this is a very similar protocol um, for dealing with autoimmune disorder mm. I could not believe the impact that it had on my mood so when I came across the training um, and all of that I had already put a lot of these things into place but it finally made sense to me I was like I feel so good now and I my mood is so even and I don't get hangry and I don't um, go to town on a box of Oreos because um, I've learned how to use these things it's, it's just really mind-blowing how how making these changes can affect your mood. I mean, your mood your mood affects everything, right? Yeah. It affects how you go into your work day. It affects how you get your kids ready for school in the morning. Um, it affects how you deal with your family members. Um, how you handle the uh, unavoidable stress that's going to come up from time Absolutely. To time. You get stuck in traffic. Yeah. If you're hangry, how does that yeah, feel, yeah. right? Road but rage. if but if you've been supplying your body all day with the nutrients that it needs and the things that are balancing your blood sugar, mm. you can take those things in stride. So, do you not eat you know, like any refined sugar, like cake. I'm, I'm just curious, like no. cupcakes. Okay, no, that's great. Uh, on that's a great. rare occasion, okay. I might have, you know, maybe a slice of like paleo banana bread or okay. something, um, but that's pretty rare. Yeah. Um, I eat a lot of bacon, I eat a lot of eggs, I eat a lot of hamburger meat, I eat a lot of Brussels sprouts and broccoli. Okay. Um, let, your, occasionally, let your yes be yes and your no be no, my, Yeah, right? absolutely, yeah. And, and it works for me. And, and I don't crave those things anymore. If somebody brought me some Oreos now, which, oh my gosh, I used to love Oreos, right? Yeah. Um, I would be like, I, there's nothing in me that wants to eat that Oreo. Okay, that's great. Yeah. I want to yeah. ask you to get into the weeds on, on this next question a little okay. bit. And I know it might be too much in the weeds, might be too technical for some of our listeners, but it's my podcast and I don't care and I'm curious. <laughs> Um, sure, I'll try and to I know answer Jason will be it the best that too. I can. Um, you, you and I have had conversations before about biotypes. And one of the, the things that you've told me about is that an opioid something biotype where you alcohol actually hits some people in an opioid kind of way. Mm -hmm. I've just hatched you to that question, but yeah. you know what I'm talking about, I right? I do. Take so, it from here, please. This comes from Dr. Joan Matthews Larson's book, Seven Weeks of Sobriety. There's been research that has been done on this. There's a lot of people out there that will say, like, uh, you know, I'm an alcoholic, um, or I feel like I'm addicted to alcohol, but alcohol doesn't affect me the way it did uh, Uncle Jim, who's also an alcoholic. I mean, we didn't have the same upbringing, or we don't act the same, or it looks totally different. You know, and there, there's these biotypes that have been identified where, because of our own unique biochemistry, which has a lot to do with enzymes, it, it affects how alcohol affects us. So the one you were talking about is called opioid mimicry, because there's this percentage of the population who will drink alcohol, and when they ingest the alcohol, it uh, manufactures a opioid-like substance in the brain. And with that comes pain relief. With that comes, you know, the warm hug of comfort you hear from heroin addicts. They say that's what heroin does for them. It gives them like this warm, comfortable hug feeling. And so that's what reinforces the behavior in those folks. They're drinking to get the pain relief. Not everybody has that experience. There's also the biotype of being allergic addicted. These folks will often say, the first time I drank in high school, I had the world's worst hangover. 
Um, you know, I never felt worse, but they, you know, they end up drinking the alcohol and they're allergic to it. And, and because of that, it creates uh, bizarre behavior. So they're the guy at the party who just starts flying into a rage and starts acting really crazy. Um, and you know, he's probably allergic. So, and then there's also, there's also evidence um, have you heard of the omegas, um, the essential fatty acids, omega-3, omega-6? Sure. Fish, right? Sure. So, yeah, salmon, fatty fish. Most folks are deficient in this. And they found out that a lot of alcoholics are severely deficient in the omegas. And they ha- and that's what causes um, the depression that is related to their alcohol. Hmm. Um, and so in those folks, if you focus their diet on incorporating those um, essential fatty acids, and you also supplement um, with a really good fish oil or something, um, their depression, you know, is alleviated. But they're drinking because they were genetically predisposed to these low omegas in their brain, and they're not getting it in their diet. I just, I find this fascinating as it relates to me personally, because I didn't have a lot of childhood trauma. I was never sexually abused. I don't, you know, this is the kind of thing that people talk about when they try to figure out why they became an alcoholic. But here's what I did do. I did eat Doritos like they were going out of style Mm -hmm. as a kid, right? So I created this blood sugar pathway in my brain that said, this is where my pleasure is going to come from when I spike my blood sugar. The other thing, when you talk about the opioid mimicry biotype, that's me. I'll talk to my wife about how alcohol how alcohol hits me versus how it hits her when I try to explain why I drank as much as I did and I've been able to describe it to her in enough detail that that she can say Matt I've never felt that and she partied Mm -hmm. heavy with Mm -hmm. me in college Mm -hmm. and she would she can say like like I can tell you right now as we sit here the three of us talking about recovery and I'm almost two years sober I'm confident I will never feel the euphoria in my life again that I got from alcohol. Mm. And part of my recovery has been I've had to come to grips with that. I've had to say I'm not going to replace it with something else. The joy that I feel from when my kids do something great. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm getting joy from my kids doing something great. And for a while, I wasn't able to. Mm -hmm. So my um, neurotransmitter balance is getting much better. And I'm very happy for that. But I have come to grips with the fact that I will never feel that euphoria because the only place I've ever felt it from was alcohol. So between my nutritional like just negligence or just lack of understanding i'm not blaming my parents because i ate doritos they didn't know any better it was the processed food generation right Mm -hmm. but between that nutritional piece as a child and then the fact that i'm just predisposed to change my alcohol into a mimic of opioids Mm -hmm. is something that only a certain percentage of us have to deal with or, or happens to us it's to me this discussion is explaining my alcoholism and where it came from. Yeah. And I think that's just fascinating. Yeah. I mean, if you talk to alcoholics and ask them about their first experience or how, you know, alcohol affects them, you'll get a plethora of different answers. You know, some people will say, I drank alcohol for the first time at a party in high school and I finally felt normal. Yeah. You it, hear that a lot. You hear that a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, and those are the people um, who are often uh, dealing with the opioid mimicry effect. Um, you know, and like I said, there's people who, like me who would drink for the first time and have a horrible hangover. And to this day, if I drink, um, would have a horrible hangover. People like me often get misdiagnosed as alcoholics. I would have two drinks, three drinks maximum, and just be a mess. I mean, like falling asleep, just 
feel like, you know, some people say, oh, I can go out and party now. And people like me be like, I need to go to bed. Because you were having an allergic reaction to the alcohol. I was having an allergic reaction, but also um, it, it's, it was a function of my blood sugar too. So people who ate a hard, eat a high-carb diet like I did um, will say, you know, my cravings were oftentimes chocolate or carbs. Um, and so my, my need at the end of the day... Um, after a long day of work, wanting to drink was really a need of me looking to balance my blood sugar. Um, and so I would drink every night, but only a couple drinks. Mm. Am I an alcoholic? I, w- I never felt addicted to alcohol, but I was abusing alcohol. But it's because I was trying to balance my blood sugar and didn't even know it. So, But you had the kind of cravings that you would have. Every I had, night gra- I had, I had whatever, severe right? cravings for alcohol. But the yeah, the underlying root cause was that I was trying to balance my blood sugar because I was stuffing my face with bread all day long. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Do you drink at all now? I'm sorry if that's too personal. No, it's not too personal. So, you know, I've, I've played around the, with the idea of never drinking again. I, I, I don't feel like I'm an alcoholic, but I definitely feel like alcohol does not serve me. Um, I don't feel good when I drink it. So I don't know that I'm at the place where I can say I will never have a sip of alcohol for the rest of my life. If I'm at a wedding and I want to take a sip of champagne or something, maybe I will. Uh, but in the last couple of years, it's been maybe one or two drinks a year Hmm. and every time I do it I go I I didn't need that I don't feel good you know so I might come to the place where be like you know I'm never gonna drink again but for now I haven't put that like closed door on it not for any particular reason I don't know that I need to at this time but I do but I am well aware that alcohol does not serve my health whatsoever and at the end of the day alcohol is a poison it's Hmm. a toxin and as soon as you ingest it your body makes it a priority to get it out of your body. Mm-hmm. It takes all of your body um, to prioritize ridding yourself of this toxin, which is also why um, you know alcoholics have severe nutrient depletions because the energy that your body would be doing to make your neurotransmitters or to produce energy, all of that, your B vitamins, it's going into metabolizing the alcohol. So over time, you end up becoming very nutrient depleted. I'm sorry if our listeners missed the very beginning of your explanation of that part because Jason and I were both snuffing and giggling over here as soon as you said alcohol is a poison because uh, you're singing to the choir on that. We couldn't yeah. agree more. Well, and if you look alcohol up, if you do a like a look it up on, on Google, mm-hmm. it'll say a flammable material. <laughs> I remember my sponsor had me do that. It was one of the first things. He's like, I want you to look up the definition of what alcohol is. Interesting. That's funny. <laughs> While we've got someone with a nutrition background, what do you say? I mean, I've got my own set of answers to this, but I want to hear your answer. Mm-hmm. What do you say to people that say, oh, but every six months a study comes out about the some some health benefit from drinking a glass and a half of red wine a day or whatever. What do you say to those people? Garbage. I mean, you'll hear people say, "You need the resveratrol. Eat some grapes." You know what I mean? I do not think that alcohol in any way shape or form serves our health. What about people that say, "But I need the stress relief. It helps me I won't have a heart attack because my blood pressure will be better because I get that stress relief every night from two gin and tonics." I would highly recommend um, looking at root causes and learning how to manage stress. Stress is a chronic condition that we're dealing with here in America. Um, It is one of the root causes of many chronic diseases. Um, And I think learning to manage your stress in a healthy way is so important. And why would you want to manage your stress with another unhealthy habit? Mm -hmm. I think looking at root causes is very important. And there's a lot of other alternatives to having a drink to bring you back down. 
it's mm. fascinating. Yeah, that is super fascinating. You know, as you were talking about, I can relate to the opioid mimicry type because, you know, when you were talking about it, I exactly what you you said was the. I remember the first time I drank, it was like a religious experience. It was like, yeah. Oh. This is it, wow. right? Yeah. Um, so and you that kept chasing really, that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you kept going for it. I mean, because once, because I, I find it fascinating. Sometimes people don't remember the first time they drank. Mm-hmm. Man, mine is like glued into my mm. emotional memory. I remember how good that felt. Mm-hmm. And so I, I thought that's, that's super fascinating. And also I like what you're talking about, and I'm sorry I'm going back a little bit, the, you know, people are allergic addicted mm-hmm. type of alcoholism. You know, the big book of AA, it talks about that people have an allergy to alcohol. Mm. And I thought that was really fascinating because, you know, just how alcohol affects, you know, some people that they black out and they turn into Mr. Hyde, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And I don't know where I was going with that, but I just wanted to point it out, like, there's wow, it's like, why don't we talk about this? And knowing the different subtypes mm-hmm. is also knowing ways, different ways to treat, treat it as well, which Absolutely. I think can be beneficial with therapy, but also for nutrition as well. Sure. So, if you can identify, mm-hmm. you know, why you were doing this in the first place, mm-hmm. um, you know, for me, it was low dopamine. So I focus a lot of my energy on making sure that I keep my dopamine levels up by mm-hmm. eating right. And, and, you know, earlier when you were saying you had to come to terms with the idea that you would never feel that euphoria again. That may be true, but at the same time, if you focus on reducing all unnatural dopamine triggers and really put energy and focus into natural dopamine um, triggers like connecting with nature um, and things like that, over time, you will, your body will adjust to that. And, and, and the more you avoid those unnatural dopamine triggers, which, um, you know, I don't know if you're eating Doritos anymore, but, no. you know, things like that. Well, if I've had if you really can identify <laughs> things in your life that might be um, something that we don't talk about a lot is uh, pornography. Pornography is a huge dopamine trigger, and so, which creates a whole plethora of other issues. But, but if you kind of can go through your life and identify all the things you're doing that are unnaturally triggering those things and really focus on the natural things, um, your body will adjust to that over years. And, and so maybe you mm-hmm. could you know, feel that euphoria again one day, and it might be different. But, but I think over, over time, it will slowly increase if you do the right things. You know? There are things that, like I, I coach high school soccer, and there are situations that I've been in in the last year, I'd say, where something happened. It's not necessarily we won the big game. It's just some, and I can't even think of a great example, but somebody that had been struggling did really well. And I will get this kind of overwhelming warmth mm. feeling that I am unfamiliar with. Mm. It, it doesn't reach the level of the euphoria mm-hmm. from drinking, mm-hmm. but it's something that I'm like, whoa, why do I feel so good right now? <laughs> So I, I hear you. It's, yeah. it's coming back. It's getting yeah. better. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's really, that, that really is an, an amazing, amazingly effective yeah. driver for me to keep going the direction sure. I'm going. So. When, you're, when you're using your body, your brain will down-regulate your receptors for these neurotransmitters. Yeah. And, and, and over time, with the right diet and doing the right things, your body will start to upregulate those receptors again. And so you increase the number of receptors that you have. You're going to increase the amount of experience you're getting from those brain chemicals. And mm-hmm. it takes time and, 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 and concerted effort, but it can be done. Yeah, so not only is it avoiding alcohol, it's also eating right. Yeah, avoiding blizzards. Avoiding blizzards. <laughs> yeah. 
I, there, so there, so here in Colorado, the Alliance for Addiction Solutions is really. Mm-hmm. I would recommend everybody um, to look into this. It's a group um, that is helping to change this thinking. That is helping to educate um, therapists and educate people in recovery and educate you know anybody uh, that is really working with people who are suffering from addiction, so that they can just start putting these things into practice and, and hopefully get them into more treatment centers, programs like this. Um, so I would encourage anybody can join um, in, in depending on whether you're a professional or just a lay person, there's different tiers commitment, but um, I would look into that. I don't sure. know if you did it on purpose, but your hand gestures, when you said professional, you pointed to Jason and just oh, a little oh, oh, sorry. No, I don't take offense. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. My subconscious yeah. acting there. I'm yeah. sorry. No, it's um, good. It, it, this is a Colorado-based organization? Yes, Alliance it is. for Addiction Solutions? It is, yeah. I'm going to check it out. Yeah. Lay people welcome, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I think it's fascinating. No, I love the fact that you've got a you, your interest has dr- driven your studies into a key facet of this the nutrition component as it relates to addiction but you're not um, ruling out you're you're saying the other pieces are important too spirituality absolutely um, you know finding um, well one of one of the things exercise you know a lot of people talk about you're just saying this is a component of it that shouldn't be left out and not saying this is the key and if you just focus on your nutrition, everything else will come in line. Totally. It's a piece of the puzzle. Yeah, I think if somebody is is really focused on recovery, I think they need to put the spiritual piece in place. And they need, you know, the, the therapy, the, the talk therapy, cognitive behavioral stuff, all of that into place. Um, and nutrition is just another seat at the table um, that is only going to increase mm-hmm. their success rate. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah, and I get the sense too, like basically what it is is creating the natural dopamine release. Mm-hmm. And you were advising Matt, he needs to go in nature more. Um, maybe he needs to exercise a little more. <laughs> Just joking. Um, but eliminating the, the dopamine sort of rush yeah. of sweets, yeah. of blizzards, yeah. and especially of pornography too. Yeah. And we've addressed this in, mm-hmm. in our podcast, but that's a huge, I mean, that's a whole like, like dopamine flood. Oh yeah, it, it, it seems very like. unnatural. So, yeah, mm-hmm. so that's that's you know the essence of, of what I'm taking away is, and also work for me as well too because, you know I agree like I go for the the sweets, mm-hmm. you know I'm not vegan the donuts, mm-hmm. and this understanding like how that affects me, and ultimately affects my recovery because it's how I feel. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this stuff is awesome. I mean, I feel like my mind is like been blown like 10 times. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Kelly, tell us what the future holds for you. You are Mm -hmm. on on the path to becoming a nutritional therapist specializing in mood, mental health, and mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, You've got some certifications to finish. And Mm -hmm. then tell us about what your future holds as it relates to your business. Sure. So right now I'm really focused on school. Um, I have already completed the training for... um, mental health and addiction nutrition. So I have that piece in place. Um, and as I'm doing my studies for just general nutrition therapy, um, you know, I've decided that will definitely be my niche. Um, so after graduation, ideally, I will be setting up a virtual practice where I'll be coaching clients pretty much from anywhere, um, wherever they are in the world, from my home in Colorado. Um, so that would look like video conferencing type thing. And ideally, I would like to get those clients 
you know, signed up and committed to uh, a long-term program. It could be three months, it could be six months, it could be 12 months, depending on what their needs are. But I, you know, it's, and it could also be somebody that's like detoxing at home and wants to learn how to, you know, live a recovery lifestyle that's um, healthy for them. Or it could be somebody just coming out of rehab, or it could be somebody that's been in recovery for years, but didn't understand how much nutrition was impacting their recovery. Um, so I would love to coach clients on mood, mental health, and mindset, how we can lay the foundational pieces. I will take a food first approach because I really think that food is the foundation here um, in learning to control our blood sugar, control our moods, and control our cravings and prevent relapse. Um, And then just working on what I call, you know, recovery lifestyle. And that's putting all these different pieces into play where we're doing the food, but we're also creating an exercise plan. And we're also, you know, putting things on the schedule, on the calendar of connecting with nature finding um, their spirituality, connecting with a community of like-minded individuals. I think dealing with things like negative thought patterns and positive thinking is really important. So so yeah, it'll focus on the pro-recovery diet and then just a a healthy lifestyle overall. That's great. And in the meantime, until your practice is set up, people can follow you on Instagram at The Addiction Nutritionist, correct? Mm -hmm. Do you have email contact information you want to share? Yep. I'm always looking for additional case studies to work with, um, which is free. Um, It just takes the right person that is committed to their recovery and is willing to put these pieces into practice. Um, So they can reach out to me on my Instagram or through my email, which is kellyjoemiller3 at gmail.com. It's spelled K-E-L-L-Y-J-O-M-I-L-L-E-R, numeral three, at gmail.com. That's great. And and I know a third way that people can contact you is through our Untoxicated podcast, because I can assure you, Jason and I are never going to lose contact with you. This has been (laughs) so educational and Well, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk about this and hopefully spread the message of the importance of uh, nutrition and addiction. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much, Kelly. This has been excellent, Um, so informative, and I am looking forward to referring clients to you as well. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, (laughs) Kelly Miller, thank you very much. For my friend and podcast partner, the very professional Jason Polk, (laughs) I am the uh, wilderness deficient uh, layperson Matt Salis for the Untoxicated Podcast. Uh, We're signing off. Thank you very much, Kelly. Thank you. Thanks, Kelly.